and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for recaps, reviews, and items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse. I'm your host, Colin Canaday. I'm your host, Jenny Carlson. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, one and all. It is the countdown to season four of Cobra Kai, which will hit at the end of the year. And so, because of our hectic schedule, what we've decided to do is we are giving you a double shot of Are You Karate Kidding Me? That's right. This holiday. Yes, we are dropping recaps and reviews for episodes 9 and 10 of season 3 back-to-back in advance of the season 4 premiere. Or as Eugene Levy would say, the premiere. Yes, and it is weirdly appropriate for these two episodes since they are also both holiday episodes and they are also back-to-back episodes that are basically a part 1 and 2 in all but name, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so we're here to recap and review. I mean, if you've got any items of interest from all around the Miyagi-verse, now's the time because, I mean, with about a week left to go, there's really not much that we could say. We've seen the trailers, we've done the live streams, we've examined and re-examined everything, and all that's left is just the premiere party on the 28th. Yep. And then that'll be that'll be it. And then we'll start dropping new episodes in January. As far as items of interest are concerned, there's a ton of press, right? So much that I'm losing track, which is not necessarily new for Netflix Cobra Kai, but for a YouTube Cobra Kai fan, it's still shocking. We've got a lot of press for the new cast, the young folks who are coming in. We also have returning casts like Thomas Ian Griffith giving interviews. There's been talk with the showrunners, and we know that the showrunners are already looking to season six, despite the fact that that feels very far away. And I would be sad but understand if season five were the end. It looks like we have more to look forward to. So in the meantime, let's deal with what's in front of us, which is Season 3, Episode 9 of Cobra Kai. All right. Well, then let's just get right into it. I mean, it's the end of the year. If this was a workplace, and in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't, right? But if this is a workplace, let's consider these two episodes our end-of-year holiday party, right? We're just going to take it easy, enjoy the holidays in the Cobra Kai universe, and send the year out right. Well, where's our drink? Well, I think we might take a quick record break between this episode and the next episode, and we'll uh, break out the Suntory highballs and the gin and tonics. In honor of Dean Martin, we have to have a little drinky-poo. The martinis ice ice cold. Indeed. Indeed. So, let's jump into it with Cobra Kai. Season 3, Episode 9, Feel the Night. Feel the Night. We open on some establishing shots of Kevin McAllister's house. It was. It looks like Kevin McAllister's house, Not, minus the Michael Jordan standee in the window. It doesn't really look like Kevin McAllister's house, but what it looks like is, is a wealthy person's house, or what once was a wealthy person's house, because it also looks like Allie's house. In fact, it is Allie's house. It's the super upper middle class house that you would only see in the late 80s, early 90s. Exactly. And there's only two people it could be. It could be Kevin McAllister. It made my family disappear. But in this case, it's Allie Mills. Yeah, because her mom is coming through the door 
establishing that she's very excited to have someone home for the holidays. She's gotten gifts for their children. Who could it be but Allie? Exactly. She's got gifts from the grandkids. She got iPads at Nordy's, which I was not aware of something you could do, but anything I guess possible. I guess at the Century City Nordies they got everything. Yeah, so one of the things that she asks Allie as the credits roll is if she has any plans to get the old gang back together. <clears throat> and the camera kind of swoops in on her a little bit to kind of give her that emphasis where she's just like, You don't have to worry about me. I have some plans. All but looking at the camera and giving a wink just to be like, What's the name of the show, Mom? Of course, I'm going to go see Johnny. But where is Johnny? But good question, where is Johnny? Well, we're going to cut right across to the bedroom at Casa de Johnny, where we find Johnny and Carmen pretty much where you would expect them after having seen them in the last scene of the last episode. Well, they're waking up in bed together, which shows that we're a long way from the opening shot of season one, right? Oh, we are so far from the opening shot of season Re- one. Rather than a pile of banquets, Johnny is in bed with a beautiful, kind woman. Yes, exactly. But in a nod to season one, he does offer a fried bologna sandwich. Well, she asks where they're going from here, and he thinks she means food, because he's Johnny. Yes. But in fact, she means, where do we go from here? And Carmen is brave, right? Carmen is no bullshit. She says, You're my son's teacher. I'm not sure how this works. And neither, of course, does Johnny. Johnny's just gotten Miguel back, and he doesn't want to screw things up with him. But in, in true Johnny fashion, he says, Then again, you're pretty hot. Johnny admits that it's been a while since he's been in this situation, and Carmen rightly calls it out. What's the matter, Sensei? Can the trick guard down? I mean, this is a really neat scene, because you can tell that Johnny's at a place of being a little more emotionally honest, despite being a little scared, although it's not like a Cobra Kai to show fear. Johnny does have a vulnerability to him, that, which is why we all love him, despite the fact that he can be a lunkhead sometimes, right? That's true. So Carmen's going to let that rest for now. She says, can we talk later? And he says, definitely. She's got to work late. So this is letting us know that Carmen won't be around tonight, just around the same time that Allie's in town. Yeah, conveniently, (laughs) Carmen's got to work while we have this adventure. So yeah, this will be the last we see of Carmen for this episode, but we'll catch up with her later. At the kitchen, Del Johnny, for this scene, Johnny appears to be wearing Jeff Lebowski's robe and pouring shredded wheat in a bowl. Who knows what he's going to fill that bowl with? Oh, no, he does have some milk. Once again, Johnny's showing very incremental improvement. uh, improvement. He has at least got milk, even though he does have a half-empty course banquet on the table next to his laptop. He's opening his laptop. He's looking at Facebook and Oh, who has messaged him in Facebook but Allie? This is a neat scene because after Johnny gets over his shredded wheat spit take, he reads the words aloud. And even though we see them on the screen, when they have Billy read the words aloud, you can really hear his emotional reaction to this. Allie says, Hey, Johnny, sorry it took me so long to write back. Typical. Things have been crazy over here. Obviously. I love the new pictures. Okay. I'm actually in town for the holidays. Wow. Wow. You want to get lunch? This is more than he expected so quickly. Uh, when it rains, it pours, and in the Johnny verse, as Billy mm-hmm. Zabka would say. So we get some of that nice Mark Knopfler Dire Straits style music as Johnny is pensive and looks out the window to see, oh no, there goes Carmen on her way to work. Yes. What kind of situation have you gotten yourself into, Johnny? Indeed. But of course, you know that he's probably going to see Allie. So meanwhile, at Miyagi-Do Karate... We cut to a picture of Mr. Miyagi on the wall, and uh, 
Miguel is pontificating, oh, this is the dude that founded Miyagi-Do, kind of directly making the line of comparison, saying, like, kind of how Kreese founded Cobra Kai. And Sam obviously takes offense to that and snaps back. Mr. Miyagi was nothing like Kreese. Yeah, I mean, the deal is that they're really having a debate about whether anyone can attain a position of mastery without being corrupted along the way. Uh Uh-huh. This is kind of presaging what's going to happen in the next few episodes here, which is Sam is lamenting that Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do's styles are so far apart, how can they ever find a middle ground? Even though that's what they desperately need to defeat Cobra Kai. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they're having this debate about the fact that the difference between Mr. Miyagi and Kreese is that Mr. Miyagi taught karate the right way, according to Sam, which is defense only. And Miguel parrots Johnny saying sometimes the best defense is more offense. And the thing that I think in this scene is just that Sam has had the Miyagi-Do ethos kind of indoctrinated into her for her whole life, whereas Miguel has only picked up Cobra Kai in the last year or two and thinks it's really neat. And so there's also that. Well, he's kind now of, an Eagle Fang, but yes. Yes, but that's. But my point being. The is, Johnny method. Yeah, the Johnny method. But my point being, it's like it's not just a clash of styles. I also kind of get the vibe that it's kind of a, a clash of commitment as well. Yeah. So Sam says that Johnny will never see eye to eye with Daniel, but Miguel responds that Daniel would be the reluctant one, not the other way around. So in that, we see that Miguel is still wary of Daniel, right? Like they've still got some ground to cover. But more on that later, because right now we're going to talk about the drum that Miguel saw on the shelf, right? You've heard of Elf on a Shelf. How about Okinawan Hand Drum on a Shelf? Miguel foolishly asks what it does, and Sam proceeds to beat the hell out of him. Episode over. (laughs) Sam launches into a slow-mo drum technique, but Miguel's got a secret move of his own. He sweeps... Sam off her feet, and they go to the mat for a smooch fest, just in time for Daniel to walk in. Yes, indeed, right on cue, Daniel stumbles into the room, holding a box of something like the TV dad that he is. And Sam's annoyed and embarrassed, and Miguel is scared. But we'll have to put a pit in that, because we gotta cut right over to the Cobra Kai special ops room, where we find that Robbie has been crashing in Kreese's back room, just as Kreese is in the main dojo room, kind of, uh... Punching that dummy. He's punching the dummy, but then he sees Robbie walk in, and he's like, Sorry you had to sleep on the floor. I've got terrible coffee brewing if you want some. Uh, coffee for men. I feel like Kreese had a... For all Kreese's experience in Vietnam, he at least had a great time camping out. And so, like, he's one of those guys who just constantly wants to sleep on rolls on the floor and, like, rough it whenever he can, right? Kreese takes this opportunity to teach Robbie the Cobra Strike, which consists of two lunges and a bite. Yes. And already... Not a literal bite, but, like, a... I guess, like a, a quick punch. Kreese's Cobra Kai is so different than Johnny's Cobra Kai, right? Even in this little interaction, like Johnny's Cobra Kai has lots of like charisma, kinetics, like it's all about being badass and almost theatrical because Johnny has built up karate in this way. Whereas Kreese is like, we're going to get the job done with two lunges and a bite. Come yeah. on, let's, let's punch this dummy that's shaped like a dude. Let's go. Like evil John Wayne. Are you women that should tremble before a force half your number? You fear the market's revenge? I seek it. Meanwhile, the doorbell goes off as the other Cobra Kais come in, and Hawk walks in to see Kreese teaching Robbie. And the bite. What the hell are you doing here? 
which makes Hawk big mad. That's right. But of course, Kreese says, Mr. Keene is our guest. And as Hawk looks at Robbie, he realizes things might not be what he thought they were. All Hawk sees is that Kreese has brought the enemy into the dojo. Kreese is obviously playing a much longer game. And you would think Hawk would put two and two together because Hawk does know that Robbie is Johnny's son at this point, right? Well, and of course. And Hawk already knows that Kreese is bringing in all these other people. Yeah. Like Kyler, he's been recruiting. Yeah. So maybe Hawk is playing a little bit dumb here being like, hey, boss, I can't help but notice that you're making all these changes to the business that uh, aren't exactly kosher. What's going on here? Kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like in succession when the kids realize Logan Roy is not to be trusted. He's not one of us. The Incas would sacrifice a child to the sun. We don't need him. What could you possibly kill it would make the sun rise again. He put Miguel in the hospital. You know, you're smart, you're good, but I I just don't know. He's the enemy. You're not a killer. You have to be a killer. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Hmm, yeah. I wonder. But I mean, we know that all season long, Robbie's been on this journey of just hating anyone who ever touched Miyagi-Do karate to splitting up with Miguel because he needs something to cling to in order to channel his rage. And, and he, he swallowed the line that, the, that Miyagi-Do is the enemy. But he's seen Kreese taking steps that put him, Hawk, under threat, right? But now he's seeing that Kreese is not doing what he kind of promised. Yeah. Which is that he's going to start making alliances with people that, that don't square with what Hawk's understanding of Cobra Kai is. Exactly. Also because Hawk is loyal to Miguel, right? He sees Robbie as Miguel's enemy. Yeah. And as Kreese takes a sip out of his world's most diabolical boss mug, he's basically relating to Hawk this idea that back when he was in Vietnam, sometimes you couldn't tell enemy from friend until they pulled a knife on you. And sometimes maybe the enemy of the enemy is my friend. So basically, this is Kreese's little Vietnam holodeck. Where he can travel back in time and relive all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, but while Hawk is trying to get a beat on what the hell's going on with Kreese, Tori goes into the back of the special ops room to talk to Robbie, who's folding up his stuff. She wants to know what he's up to, and he says that he doesn't belong here. Tori senses a kindred spirit in Robbie, and so she's going to punch his buttons until he sticks around. She kind of insinuates that he's running away from a thing, which makes Robbie defensive and want to prove that he's not, right? So she says, I hated you for what happened to Miguel, you know? I hated Sam LaRusso. I hated everyone. I hated myself the most. I didn't have the luxury of running away. So once again, we see Tori being like, well, I have it the hardest, and thus I know the truth. And she says that Kreese taught her to channel her hate, and then she beats the crap out of a punching bag to show that channeling your hate makes you stronger. It makes you stronger. Uh, this is appealing to Robbie, especially when she tells him it feels good. And it feels good. They're connecting. Robbie is pensive. And then Tori goes in for the kill. She asks him to come get together with them after class. Or he can run away again. Tori probably makes the most compelling argument for Cobra Kai here. Once again, Tori is right in the wrongest way where she's, as you said, saying that being angry makes you stronger. What What is the Kelly Clarkson version of this? Well, 
Tori is saying, What doesn't kill you makes you Yes. It's like an evil Kelly Clarkson. Meanwhile. At the Magnolia Kitchen Cafe, a very vegan-sounding restaurant. So my cursory Googling suggests this is not a real restaurant in the Valley or in Atlanta, but in my head canon, it's a reference to the Chip and Joanna Gaines Empire at Waco. Exactly. Johnny waits nervously for Allie to come through and watches other people eating. He hears someone ordering the Mung Doll Bowl and sounds out the words so he can order it and fit in. Vegan. Mung doll bowl. Vegan mung doll bowl. Yeah, he, he's practicing his Dr. 80s spy craft here <laughs> by overhearing other people's orders in order to parrot them back later. At this moment, Allie walks in looking like no time has passed at all. Certainly no time has passed since uh, she was shooting that Julie Delpy show. <laughs> That's right. Johnny is transported, right? They're both so happy to see each other. And... The small talk gets a little awkward when they note that the last time they saw each other was... And then they lapse into embarrassed silence with a crane kick flashback to boot. From Johnny's perspective, Daniel hit him with that crane kick so hard he's been in an interstellar style singularity for 30 odd years. And then finally, the payoff. The server comes over and Johnny phonetically orders the Mung Doll Bowl with carrots and turmeric. And Allie doesn't even know what that is. So she opts for the cheeseburger. Johnny then quickly switches his order, happy to follow suit, to which Allie quips back. Well, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an interesting moment for Allie's character because both Johnny and Allie grew up in privilege and in, in some, some similar conditions, but now they've gone their separate ways and Allie appears to be doing great, right? Like, she's a doctor, she's established. Mm -hmm. But, like, what kind of established person is she? Has she become that kind of person who's from california from the 80s and then went to go be a rich doctor and only does these certain things or is she down to earth oh she's still down to earth but we will have to come back to this delightful uh lunch tete-a-tete uh, -tete in a moment because we got to zip back over to miyagi-do where sam is apologizing to daniel who just wants this settled so he says if you're gonna bring all the boys to the yard of the dojo you're gonna have to leave the door open the idea of bringing boys to the dojo and the, but leaving the door open is such a killer line and so underrated. It's the kind of line that we take for granted in this show. But Daniel's a modern dad. He affirms Sam's bodily autonomy. But then he says he's worried about Sam's becoming, as did you just your line, a drama llama? I mean, it is, it is a weird line that Daniel's having to ride here where he definitely respects Sam's autonomy in a lot of ways, but also kind of victim blames her for being a drama llama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Daniel says, I just feel like in this past year, there's been Kyler and Miguel and Robbie. Now back to Miguel. True. Seems like you're adding more drama to your life than you need. Secondly, all those balls are still in the air. Kyler's back in the picture. Kyler and Robbie, wow. when they interact, they're both exes of Sam. To be fair, Daniel doesn't know Kyler's back in the picture yet. In fact, Kyler is only barely aware that he's back in the picture. But that does <laughs> set up something very interesting for season four, where, wait, what if this lug triangle becomes a quadrilateral? There is no way that Sam ever goes back to Kyler. No, but that's not required in love geometry. Like Love geometry. What if Kyler's still holding a candle for Sam and she doesn't realize it or want it now that is an interesting point what if kyler 
acts weird and dickish towards Sam in a way that awakens Robbie's positive protective instincts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going to have to clip this later because I have a feeling this is going to come back into play at some point. I think it is. All, All right. right. But at any rate, th- during this conversation between Daniel and Sam, it comes out that Robbie has actually already seen Sam and Miguel together just sparring at the dojo. So we know, Dan- Daniel knows that it's heightened and that God knows what Robbie's up to now. But back to Miguel, right? Sam really wants Daniel to give Miguel a second chance. And he says it's not Sam he doesn't trust, but... Sam points out... He's a good person. He's not Cobra Kai's number one bully. He's not even in Cobra Kai anymore. And there's a sweet moment where they look outside and Daniel sees Miguel looking under the cover of the banana boat. (laughs) That's right. But before Daniel can run out and tell Miguel to keep his hands off his banana boat, we shift over to the woods outside what turns out to be the Ventura Zoo where Cobra Kai... Okay, we've got one shot at this. Quick, in and out, we'll be good. You know what you gotta do? Hell yeah. Let's go. All right, sweet. Is planning a break-in. Robbie doesn't need the warm beers to pretend he's cool. Uh, He's the straight-edge rebel that doesn't fall for peer pressure. Yeah, some of the Cobra Kai's are unconvinced by Robbie's presence, namely Hawk. Hawk is just wanting to start stuff with Robbie, but Tori doesn't have time for that. She's ready for them to go through the fence and do their special ops task. Yeah, Robbie's still not sure he wants to go commit another crime, but... Tori resorts to peer pressure, which Robbie calls out, but he respects the fact that she owns it, and so he follows her through. He's into it. Yeah, Tori loves to pressure people into doing things that they don't want to do, because that's what happens to her all the time. So, again, the cycle of abuse rears its ugly head. Indeed. But yeah, they're being real cryptic about their errand at this point. We All we know is that they're on a secret mission, and they're breaking into the zoo. Cut back to Magnolia, Magnolia Kitchen, Kitchen, where Johnny and Allie are getting along like a house of fire. They're reminiscing about the past, talking about their first and second dates. So the show is really going going to great pains to flesh out something that we have been expected to take for granted since learning Johnny was a full-fleshed human being, which is that he and Allie had a decent relationship it wasn't just johnny being a creep for Allie. that's true yeah i mean we only in karate kid one we only came into johnny and Allie's relationship right at the end right so yeah this the cobra kai is doing a great job of kind of building out a case for well like there had to have been a reason for them to be together in the first place yep she says thing it seems like things are really good for johnny now given his sensei lifestyle and at first he agrees life was good to him after high school, but then he realizes he doesn't want to front to Allie. Johnny says, Regrets, I've had a few. He says he wasn't prepared to be a dad to Robbie. He notes that, Pretty sure I've ruined every meaningful relationship I've ever had, starting with you. I think Johnny's being a little hard on himself, but of course... In the universe of Cobra Kai, that's all we've been shown, so we're going to have to give that one a hard agree, right? Yeah, exactly. So the deal is that Johnny realizes that he'd rather relate to Allie as a person rather than an idea from the past. And after it's a he, great start. After, yeah, well done, Johnny. And of course, 20, 30-ish years in the rear view, you can also treat a lot of that stuff a lot lighter than you could in the moment yeah except of course kicks to the face and in the at the finale of a tournament that that shit sticks with you forever right forever exactly so Allie's kind of commiserating with johnny saying well if it makes you feel any better i have messed up a lot of things in my life as successful as she is as a professional 
her marriage to Mr. Schwarber is now on the rocks and they are separated. Well, I mean, she's always had to be the good daughter, the good wife, the good mother, now a good divorcee. But she's best yeah. friends with Julie Delpy now. That's pretty cool. Can I tell how I met Justine? Justine had fucked this guy. A total male slut. Yes. No, no, no. no. She didn't fuck him. She blew him. And it was the 90s. In the middle of the night, the phone rings. And there's this hysterical French girl on the other line demanding to know what kind of a loser would fuck a loser like David without a condom. <laughs> Johnny notes that Mr. Schwab is an idiot for leaving Allie. Pull it a fact equals true on that one. Who's going to leave Elizabeth Shue at any point? I know. Yeah. Once you land in Elizabeth Shue, you keep her. You do what it takes, my friend. Unless you're like Nicolas Cage. Oh, fuck, Ben. Did you get in a fight? How do you feel? <sighs> like the cling clang king of the rim ram room. Well, sure. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, Johnny notes that her husband is an idiot, but he's now just thinking about all the idiots that Allie has encountered. And so he has a sincere moment. She says he can make her laugh, but he wants to apologize for everything that he did wrong. He says, look, I screwed up back in the day. I took you for granted. You didn't deserve that. I ruined our relationship, our friendship, and worst of all, her radio. And Allie is... <laughs> I can't even remember why we were so mad at each other. Really, Allie notes that this is remarkable that Johnny is apologizing for anything. Yeah. And look, and, an, and a nice cassette boombox in 1984 dollars, that's not cheap. Indeed. Exactly. At any rate, this is peak redeemable Johnny. Absolutely. Johnny is doing a lot of work here to make it up to Allie and make it up to us, the audience, for being one of the premier 80s bad guys <laughs> exactly well this is a lovely moment because they're going back and forth about what happened when he ruined their radio that they drove over it with the motorcycles and the characters are remembering it differently and it's a nice moment because this is a joke for the actors because they are asked about scenes like this ad nauseum and they mm -hmm. don't remember that stuff but now that they're on the same page Allie says that she has an idea of what they could do next on this friend date Oh, yeah. She has a great idea what she can do next. Something fun? Something really fun? Well... What, what could that be? What could that be indeed? Well, we're going to have to leave you in suspense for a moment because we got to go back over to Miyagi, where Daniel catches Miguel looking under his tarp, and Daniel approaches Miguel, and uh, they take a moment to bond over cars. Yeah, so... Miguel says that you don't see these a lot where he lives, and Daniel said, of course. When Mr. Miyagi gave me this car, I was the envy of all Reseda. And Miguel can't believe... I didn't know you are from Reseda. ...that Daniel grew up poor, like Miguel. Yeah. Things were different back then. Right? And Daniel talks about how jealous he was of Johnny, which is news to Miguel, because Miguel didn't understand that Johnny grew up in privilege. Sensei was a rich kid? So Daniel can't believe that, because Daniel thought for sure Miguel knew all about their past, and, of course, Miguel knew about the legal kick, which uh, is BS, Daniel says, because anything above the waist is legal. Yeah, like, we're again, we're, we're relitigating the crane kick yet again to kind of lampshade the lampshade, right? Well, and, and it's a nice moment, too, for Daniel to point out that... Besides, you used that same kick in last year's tournament, right? Noting that he's been watching Miguel, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll come back to this this meeting of the minds in a moment. We we've, we've got to now cut back over to the Ventura Zoo.
At the Ventura Zoo, the cobras sneak into the reptile house. They pass both the Abraxas and the sexual Tyrannosaur exhibits. A goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus, just like me. As they're going in, Hawk notes... And the governor of Minnesota exhibit. Wow. As they're going in, Hawk notes that they have less than five minutes. So they are on their way to get a gift, as Tori says, for Sensei. Yeah, all of this in service of getting a gift for Sensei. What could this gift be? Gosh, I wonder. Yeah. uh, It appears to be a Chinese cobra. Yeah, so they make their way to the cobra section. They pass by the axolotl cage and the other reptile friends. And unfortunately, it seems like Kyler has once again forgotten his snake pole, and (laughs) they want to bail on the mission. Yeah, Kyler doesn't want to get caught. I've got a lot of my mind right now. If I don't pass the treat this semester, my dad's going to shit in my mouth. Which is a perfect thing for Kyler to say. So now it's like Hawk's got to stick his hand in there, but there's a sound. They think it's the cops. They got to go. So the only two people who are left behind are Tori and Robbie. And then Tori leaves, comes through the fence while Kyler and Hawk are are going to get it because Hawk's real mad. Hawk is telling Kyler he's an idiot. And then here comes Robbie holding a bag. Somehow Robbie got that snake. Exactly. Robbie's a real snake charmer because he's got a bag with a cobra in it or some sort of venomous snake in it. Everyone else is super charmed except Hawk, who looks actually a little freaked out by this new development. Robbie's propensity at natural cobraism is not sitting well with Hawk. Meanwhile, back over at Miyagi-Do, Daniel is providing helpful annotations for Miguel, who's only heard Johnny's side of the story of the recap of Karate Kid 1. Really, we need to get Miguel an MP3 player in our episode on Karate Kid 1. That way he can get the real, real story of what happened. This is a beautiful scene because Daniel and Miguel are sitting in the banana boat. Miguel is at the driver's side. Daniel is in the passenger seat. And he's explaining his side of the story that he didn't even know Johnny existed until he got on that beach. He and Allie hadn't spoken in weeks. And Miguel tries to counter with the story of the hose in the bathroom on Halloween. And Daniel's like, these guys were beating the crap out of me every other... The water hose was the least of it, believe me. And it was just sitting there. It was so teed up, we would have done the exact same thing. From the tone, you can tell they've already connected. And so Miguel says he thinks he's upset because Allie was his first love. And another sincere moment that lets us know the tension could still be there. Daniel says she was his too. Now, I would like to say as a moment, just a moment of silence for Judy out of Newark, who who clearly pined for Daniel. Hashtag justice for Judy. Justice for Judy. Judy ran after after that station wagon as it pulled out of New Jersey. Absolutely. But we're busy focusing on Allie right now. And Daniel says there's something about her, right? There's just something about her. And as he says something about her, her high school yearbook photo kind of fades into frame next to his face to kind of drive the point home even more. Exactly. And the soft summer fun music plays as well. Daniel is pensive in that moment. Well, it was good talking with you, Miguel. From one all-valley champ to another. Miguel digests the fact that, that this mutual attachment is what started the whole thing. But Daniel's got to get going, so they both get out of the banana boat. Daniel tells Miguel it was good talking with him from one all-valley champ to another. Yeah. And offers him his hand. I'm just realizing a lot of key information gets exchanged in that banana boat. How cool that scene must have been for the two actors who've been kind of dancing around each other for three seasons but haven't gotten to talk on screen in any meaningful way. 
Yeah, it's it's not real unless you have a talk in the banana boat, right? Daniel calls Sam, who looks like she's been waiting behind the rice paper door. And Daniel says that he's got to go. Clearly, all is well here, especially since Miguel understands that they need to keep the sparring to a minimum. Well, exactly. Miguel got a handshake from Daniel. That's as good as getting a handshake from Paul Hollywood in Bake Off. It's true. They do pick up on that. I'll sweep Paul's leg <laughs> like I'm in Cobra Kai. <laughs> Miguel's no soggy bottom. (laughs) Absolutely not. But they reflect. And then Sam says, if only Johnny would sit and talk with Daniel the same way that Miguel just did, it would solve a lot of their problems. But of course, this gives Sam an idea. That's right. Sam's got a brilliant idea. But we're going to have to find out what that is in a moment because the music swells. And guess what, gang? We're going to golf golf and stuff. Open 10 a.m. every day at Metro Center. It's golf and stuff. Wow. Yes, the happiest place on earth. We are back. And this time it's Allie and Johnny's turn to enjoy a fun montage at the golf and stuff. And I With mean, Feel the Night playing the same song that played for Daniel and Allie in 1984. Exactly. Again, it's not real until you feel the night at golf and stuff. And uh, yeah, we're getting another classic Karate Kid montage. This is as cheesy as it was the first time we saw it in 1984, and I'm here for every bit of it. I mean, I think it's a little weird, though, that they're playing Feel the Night. I don't mind that we're seeing this scene. I don't mind that we're seeing that Johnny and Allie have this experience, but Cobra Kai is happy to be on the nose, and this is one of those moments, but I think it would have been cool to hear Johnny and Allie like rocking out to something a bit more metal. With a montage with Johnny in it, I feel like maybe a metal version of Feel the Night would have been more <laughs> appropriate, for sure, for sure. Yeah, or just like some Guns and Roses, I don't know. They're having a great time regardless. He gets her a stuffed animal because that's what she got to do. They're off the Ferris wheel and they're going to go take a selfie. And look at all those Christmas decorations. It's the same as it was in 1984. A temperate Christmas with some tinsel on the fence. The selfie they take is adorable. They take multiple selfies, actually. And now they're admiring them on a bench together. They both look like they're kids again. Very, very cute. Yeah. uh... And in fact, they feel like kids again. The last time Allie hung out by the Christmas decorations at golf and stuff, she and Daniel got down to some passionate necking. Uh, This place makes me feel like I'm 17 again. Wow. Or at least she's forgetting that they have 17-year-olds themselves. And that she takes the opportunity now to ask Johnny about Robbie. Johnny explains that, uh, well, Robbie contains multitudes. It's complicated, which is putting it mildly. Johnny says that Robbie's smart, but also that he's a heartbreaker. And Allie responds, like his dad. Politifact equals true. Also cue the uh, studio audience in my head going. Johnny asks about Allie's kids and she has two. Lucas, the soccer kid, and Eva, the punk rebel kid, who Johnny knows sounds like her mom. Sounds like we're queuing up yet another Karate Kid spinoff series here, but we'll have to learn more about these fun new characters later. Man, you don't need that. You can just go to the fanfics where Allie's kids already do karate on AO3. What? Yes. At any rate, Johnny and Allie are thinking about it. She misses their kids. This is the first Christmas alone that she has because Greg Schwarber has the kids. She's alone with her parents and they don't approve of her situation. Bam, what do Allie's parents approve of? They are really high strung. Nordstrom's and iPads. I guess so. And if this were the graduate, they would approve of plastics. I just want to say one word to you. Plastics. There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. But Johnny's here with the joke because he tells her it's a silver lining. She gets to drop Schwarber as her name. Yeah. 
And the violins rise, and they lean in closer. Johnny puts his arm around her, and they're making good eye contact. Oh, man, he's got her hand, like, on her shoulder in a way that's like, like, no time has passed. Oh, it's so romantic. Nose is touched. It's about to happen. There it is. Dot Matrix strikes again. <laughs> well, I'm none of that, mister. That was my virgin alarm. It's programmed to go off before you do. Yeah, uh, just as Johnny gets close... They're interrupted by the notification on Allie's phone that she's missing a party. After a moment's hesitation, she asked Johnny if he wants to come. Basically, a reversal of the situation with Daniel and the country club in Karate Kid. He's interested. And she asks him if he has a suit. So this moment for me is like, what the hell is Johnny going to wear? The only suit we've seen him in is the one he wore to the All Valley High Council. That's true. Yeah, it doesn't... Does Johnny own a second suit? Find out after <laughs> this commercial scenes. break. <laughs> we'll come back to this fancy party in just a moment because we've got to get back over to Cobra Kai where Kreese is impressed with the Cobra's B&E work at the Ventura Zoo and Robbie's star turn there. Robbie's impressed too. He looks really pleased with himself when he's oh, he putting that chuffed. snake in the aquarium. Like he's found himself. Yeah. Less chuffed as Hawk. That's true. And Cree says... I'm impressed. Showed fearlessness. Leadership. Now those are the qualities you need to be a champion. Do you see what you can accomplish when you work together? Alliances are important for us and our enemy. And that's what the other side is doing too. So Robbie is reflecting on what that means when Tori asks what alliances those are. And Chris goes in for the kill again, saying, Diaz and that LaRusso girl, yeah, this guy teased people up, just like Emperor Palpatine does with Anakin about the Tusken Raiders. You're the Sith Lord. I know what's been troubling you. Ever since I've known you, you've been searching for a life greater than that of an ordinary Jedi. Are you going to kill me? I would certainly like to. Ah, yeah, he does. They're working together. They helped save the All Valley and gave quite a speech. As Tori's eyes get bigger and bigger and Kreese notes, they make a pretty good team. Daniel may have accused Sam of being a drama llama earlier, but guess what? Kreese is king drama llama of Drama Mountain. That llama's got two humps. Mm-hmm. Do llamas have humps? They have one. Oh, no. But a drama llama might have to. We'll see. Fair. Anyway, a cut back over to the LaRusso Mance. A festively lit LaRusso Mance. A festive LaRusso Mance just in time for the holidays. Just in time for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, we're decked out in Christmas lights. The bonsai tree has a star on top. Bonsai tree. It's real nice in there. The Miyagi-Dos or Miyagi's Doe are all sitting around on the couch trying to figure out what's going on because Dimitri finds this to be ho, ho, horrible. Chris doesn't understand why, if Sam's parents are out for the night, they're not throwing a big party. Sam says there's a keg on the way. Dimitri asks if they can put on a Christmas special, noting, I'd even watch that creepy one with the little elf dentist. This really looks like an episode that was written specifically for some of the actors to joke about. Yeah, considering that Gianni DiCenzo can make a face just like Hermie the Elf. It's the bone structure. Yeah, these might just be old home movies. Yeah, but so Ding Dong is at the keg. Oh no, it's Eagle Fang Karate in some festive Christmas sweaters. 
Yeah, for some reason, Inglefang Karate... Well, no, was... only Mitch is in the Christmas sweater. Yeah. For some reason, Inglefang Karate was told that their holiday party was going to be at Miyagi-Do's address, and somehow they did not put two and two together on that one. Exactly. Yeah, maybe they just followed Google Maps and didn't uh, think too critically about it. The Inglefang's lament... No way. Uh-uh. Oh, hell no. You gotta be kidding Dimitri me. Dimitri incredulously exclaimed, You parent-trapped us? I gather that you two don't get along together. Look, I know we haven't always gotten along. Let the punishment fit the crime. All the eagle fangs are equally upset. There's a lot of bad blood. Not quite as much bad blood as in a Taylor Swift video. But but still quite a bit. We do get a series of shot-reverse shots that show the former friends turn foes through the rivalry. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. the binary brothers who are estranged. Indeed. Yeah, this isn't good. Sam pleads that they have to listen to each other because Cobra Kai is the bigger threat. Miguel adds, I think they'd stand a better chance if they joined forces. Miguel acknowledges... Two dojos are stronger than one. This is ridiculous. Look, I know we've all done shitty things to each other. Now the binary brothers are fighting back and forth. Every Miyagi-Do and their Eagle Fang equivalent is at each other's throats. And as Sam's voiceover continues, Johnny approaches the steps of the Encino Oaks Country Club. Here we go again. Are we going to get another pasta incident? Sam's voice says, Alone we're nothing, but if we work together, we have a shot. Here comes Johnny. Sam's saying, If we can't get over the past, the fighting will never end. Johnny is dressed in an incredible white jacket over a black shirt and pants. Yeah. He's doing a white suit at a holiday party. He's got a uh, prime Roger Moore white tuxedo vibes going, I think. Yes, indeed. So Johnny's looking sharp. He's feeling it. He smiles at the side of Allie, who's walking up at the bar. About to talk to someone, actually. But wait, who is she talking to? As Sam's voice says, we have to confront our enemies. Oh, no, it's Daniel LaBrusso. And just to drive the point home, Johnny flashes back to Karate Kid 1 and the first moment that he saw Daniel uh, messing around with Allie on the beach and his eyes narrow. Johnny was back on top, it seems, but now his mellow is harshed hard. And with that... We conclude Cobra Kai Season 3, Episode 9, Feel the Night. Wow, your announcer voice is doing it for me, and I'm just... That episode was a lot. It is a lot. There's a lot. It sets up a lot. It, it leaves us at a really poignant place, which then leads me to turn to you, Jenny, and ask, <laughs> what do you think of this episode? So great. It's a great episode. So many payoffs in this episode, and I don't even mean Allie. I mean, that scene of Daniel and, and Miguel in the car together is incredible. Mm-hmm. And while it pains me to see anyone, even Tori, who seems to want it, increases clutches, like like those scenes with, with Robbie and Tori and Crease are very good. But of course, Allie and Johnny is a very special thing for the mythology of the show, for character development, for the challenge it poses for Johnny's ability to get over his beef with Daniel and, and vice versa. Daniel's just mad at Johnny for being a Cobra Kai more than anything with Allie. But for Johnny, the key deal is that Daniel stole Allie from him. So that's an interesting provocation. I just think everyone's firing on all thrusters and the, and the writing is great. The episode is clearly a gift to the cast as well as to us. 
yeah, this episode is a nice little Christmas present. And again, it definitely stands on its own. It does a lot of heavy lifting, as we mentioned during the recap section, to kind of build out the Johnny Alley relationship so that it has a little more weight and it feels a little more earned that Johnny should just be mad at Daniel all over again for a whole new set of reasons. Yeah. Like, the show does a great job of kind of building and breaking Johnny and Daniel's relationship to where it's like, just what do you think Daniel and Johnny might be on the same page? Some new thing comes along for them to litigate, and they're back at each other's throats, just like old times, right? Well, and we we know how desperately we need them to work together because their dojo's can't beat crease on their own and more than that we aren't the only ones who know it their students know it right their students are coming to see that they need to unite single-celled organisms know it indeed so the fact that this is happening now at a moment when johnny is in a rebuilding phase and was beginning to feel better about things with Allie, we don't yet know if johnny wants a relationship with Allie, but johnny wants the feeling that he had and he's in pursuit of it and he almost gets it right when they almost kiss johnny wants to feel the night he, he johnny was feeling that night <laughs> will he still be feeling it tomorrow we'll find out yeah but well, yeah what yeah. were you gonna say i mean i i think <clears throat> this is just a, an interesting dynamic and i think that if they hadn't handled it so delicately this really could have veered off into this weird love triangle between Allie, Johnny, and Carmen. And I don't think the show makes that case quite. I think there is a lot of sparks, but I think that Allie's disposition makes it clear that nothing's gonna happen, right? It's a weird dynamic of something always could happen, but nothing is, right? I think that at this point, we know, it's, it's impossible to separate the fact that we know that Elizabeth Shue hasn't been part of the show to the extent that we believe something of major significance will happen with them romantically. Mm-hmm. But in Johnny's world and in Allie's world, I could see how both of them are in this liminal space. The difference is that Allie kind of positions herself and the show positions Allie as a person, not just a romantic interest. So the the biggest reveal of, of Allie appearing here is a reminder of who Allie has always been to Daniel as well as to Johnny, which is someone to love, but also a great friend, right? She's a great friend. And this is a neat moment on a number of levels because while so much of the plot of stories in the Miyagi-verse revolve around men's perception of women, and especially like straight men's perception of, of the women they're attached to and how that drives their feeling of their own power, love triangles aren't the only thing and in fact the women have power too the women have stories we see that with miguel and sam are already in that place because even though they want to do a little sparring in the dojo they're also working together constructively to solve a problem from a place of openness and honesty and, and confidence in each other right we also get that with daniel and amanda but that said like your point earlier about kyler robbie like, that's all very complicated, which I hadn't even thought about until we got to this rewatch of, like, and Daniel reminding me, oh, yeah, there's that, too. If the men in the Miyagi-verse who have issues struggle with the idea of how women play into that, then that's definitely a point of vulnerability for Robbie in a good way. Robbie will reconnect with his care for Sam because no one wants to see her 
dealing with jerks like Kyler. Exactly. And I think you bring up a great point. I think that this is the episode where Johnny's arc leads him to deconstruct his idea of who he thinks Allie is. Just in time for us to cut to scenes of Daniel wistfully thinking of Allie as an object when in a way that he did is as a teenager and the way that she was kind of treated in Karate Kid 1, right? Well, and because of the way this show has worked, like the ninth episode of each season tends to end with either Johnny and Daniel have had detente or, or like a gleeful hangout or something, but whatever, it ends with, oh no, there's new tension between Daniel and Johnny. So they expertly ratchet up that tension where Daniel could be wistful because he still cares about Allie, although we, knowing Daniel and Amanda, know that's really not the case. But like, it's enough to make you think that they could fight over Allie again when we get into episode 10. Mm-hmm. Like, every time I watch this show, and I have great faith in the showrunners, but every time they do this, I'm like, how are they going to do this? Because the, the cheap way would be to have Daniel and Johnny both competing for Allie's attention. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what's going to happen, and I also know it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yes. So, episode nine, Easter eggs. Yes, I would like to shout out a couple of Easter eggs in this episode. The banana boat, obviously. Seeing seeing Miguel sitting in the in the Daniel seat. Oh, yeah, that's obviously a callback for sure. And then also the hand drum, which is that a hand drum in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see my daughter? See, that is, uh, that is a great line. I felt like they were trying to set up like when they dropped the hand drum in there, I felt like the same way it was intended to be read in Karate Kid 2, where it's just like, oh, this is going to be something. And I thought that at some point you know, either Sam or Miguel was going to do a hand drum on somebody else, but it never came. So. I bet we get the drum next season. I hope we get more Miyagi-Do secret techniques in the new season. I want one. I want a new one every season. Absolutely. I want, I want Tamil and Tamita to show up, like fly from Okinawa into the valley and be like, oh, oh, Daniel, here's a scroll. Auntie Yukie left me the scroll. Yeah, from... yeah. Yukie left me the scroll. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. So now here's the part where we ask... Jenny, who's your MVP? Johnny Lawrence. Johnny Lawrence. Well, Johnny guess, Lawrence. Guess what? I think we've got a daily double because that is also my MVP for this episode. Wow. Uh, but go ahead and give your reasoning for... Uh, my answer will not be in the form of a question. Fair. But yeah, we get to see Johnny de-age emotionally in a way that isn't just me being like, oh, look, it's Billy. No, but it's like Johnny Lawrence reverting to... Johnny Lawrence from the Karate Kid, but it's all the the Johnny Lawrence who says, you're all right, LaRusso, at the end of the Karate Kid. It's like the right. sweet guy that Johnny was never allowed to be, except maybe in unguarded moments with Allie. Right. In a scene that would have enraged me if you'd just shown me this scene after watching the Karate Kid and there were no other co- Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. But, like, because of all of the show and now this, like, we get to see Billy Zabka guide Johnny into a place of like authenticity and accountability and hope Mm -hmm. and it's just a brilliant thing not only that we have that wonderful scene with him and carmen at the beginning of the episode where they relate in a way that isn't overwrought but is clearly intimate vulnerable like it's a it's brilliant scene work and he anchors it all does it all and the other thing is that while they've known each other for 30 plus years billy zabka and elizabeth shu didn't have that many scenes together in the original karate kid and from the way they relate in this episode it's like they've known each other their whole lives 
in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are your reasons? My main reason is just mad respect to Johnny and his game. He is clearly an aspirational dater. He's going for Allie. An AD. Yeah, he's going for Allie. He's going for Carmen. Strong professional women. Take no nonsense, ladies. His taste is clearly on point for someone who's gone from being a rich kid to losing it all to being a handyman to then becoming a sensei and then also going for these amazing dating opportunities. I got to hand it to him. That's clearly where Johnny is the smartest. His taste in in women and his uh, taste in, in dates. Yeah, he knows what's up. Yep, yep. So, fair enough. Honorable mentions to Miguel, I guess. Honorable mentions to Robbie. Robbie oh, yeah. So this time. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just so hard to watch, but yeah. Yeah. Oh. What do you think it would have been like if Johnny and Allie had kissed? Would that have happened? Is that even possible? I in the in the good screenwriting field of possibility. Well, I if she had kissed, that would have been the difference between her going from being guest star to main cast, right? It's like <laughs> it's true. Right? Like I, I I have a feeling that that possibility could have always been on the table if they thought they could get Elizabeth Shue for more episodes. I think the the interest in here was drawing a little bit of a love triangle and then kind of quashing it just to plant the flag in the sand and say, no, this is the direction that we're taking the character now, right? Yep. Uh, Johnny as a character and to a, a certain degree, Allie as well. I think that had they kissed, it would have been a massive sea change. It would have given us at least another season's worth of material and really focused the show back more on Johnny and what's going on in his life in a way that would have made it for a very different feeling going into season four and five and beyond, where it's just like having to manage this karate war is one thing having to manage a karate war and also deal with this love triangle on another front that would have made the johnny show very hectic indeed it's true yeah yeah and i don't think that Allie needs that despite the fact that they can both feel the night right right so that would be weird for how they've already set Allie up in the course of the episode Mm-hmm. so now that we've seen Allie and all of this do you feel closure for Allie and Johnny yet at this point? Not yet. I mean, that's the thing. From a production standpoint, it's really smart because clearly Elizabeth Shue is a, a, a working actress. She's got a lot on her plate these days, and I'm sure getting her on the schedule was no mean feat. Yep. So they really did a, a nice job of being efficient, and they clearly shot one episode's worth of Alley material, but then they've now split it across two episodes so they can set us up on this tantalizing little cliffhanger here where Johnny sees Alley talking to Daniel at the country club, and he thinks this cycle is about to start all over again, which would be an amazing turn for the show, even if it was somewhat regressive, right? And so props to Elizabeth Shue for coming back to the show. I'm sure it was not an easy thing to ask, but I think the next episode will really show us why it's important for Allie to be here. And yeah, mad props to the writing and production teams for giving Allie a lot of stuff to do and being able to kind of maximize our time with Allie by splitting it across two episodes like this. Yes, indeed. We will be seeing her in the next episode. So I think that just about does it for this episode. Man, it is 
like I said, it is fun with these episodes. We're recording them back to back. We're watching them back to back. They do kind of make up a kind of soft two-parter in all but name only, as I said. It would be, man, it would be really fun if we had a cliffhanger like on this show right yeah like, yeah like we're about to end our season as well because we're following cobra kai's season it would be it would be so weird if hey wh- what was that was that the doorbell that was the doorbell huh i wonder who it could be huh huh i guess we'll find out I guess we'll find out This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Kennedy and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us at Karate Kid Pod on Twitter and wherever you download podcasts.